CITR was really more like a pork tenderloin, you know. It's, it's you know, it's v- very, very juicy, mm-hmm. and ideally paired with seasoning salt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the shows are the seasoning salt too. Yeah, yeah. This is, I, I was going for a metaphor there, but it rapidly became a metaphor gotten. True. Yeah. Anyway, you might be wondering, what show am I listening to? You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. That's correct. I'm your host Ashley Park, and I'm Jake Clark. And we actually have three wonderful uh, in-studio guests with us today. Feel free to introduce yourselves. They are playwrights for the Brave New Playwrights Festival, and they're actually playwrights of the uh, the actual staged productions, which are very kind of like, ooh. So feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Ooh. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Jake. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I'm Olivia Ette. I wrote The Hoarder, which is going to be premiering in program one. Ooh. I'm Kyle Schoenfeld. I wrote Pizza Night, uh, which is also going to be in program one. Hi, I'm Carla, and I wrote um, Medium, which is in program two. <laughs> All right. Well, we're really excited that, and thank you so much for uh, being here, especially talking to us, the Arts Report. Let's get right into it. So how did you guys kind of like, you know, get into Brave New, get into playwriting? Is this the first time? Are you an experienced veteran? Let's jump in. Um, I'm primarily a poet and translator, so I wanted to try something else um, for because it's the UBC creative writing program. You have to have a third genre, uh, so I decided to try out playwriting because why not? And that's how I got into it. And I have never had any experience um, playwriting before, but after seeing uh, Brave New Playwrights last year, mm-hmm. um, I thought I would give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, similar story for me. I'm a, a fiction writer first and foremost. Um, but after seeing last year's Brave New Plays, I really uh, wanted to give it a shot. And uh, I think there's some stories that are better told on stage than on the page. I've always loved playwriting. I remember already from a young age, my sister and I, we used to put on plays on our stairwell at home until we became so large that we accidentally almost knocked over a painting <laughs> that happened to be on the wall in our house. Mm-hmm. And then we literally metaphorically outgrew the <laughs> stairs. So I thought I would apply to the Dionysia Festival two and a half years ago for the first time. And that was where I had my first play put on mm-hmm. called Foreplay, directed by Kevin Hatch. And it was one of the uh, most extraordinary experiences of my entire life. And after that, I knew I was hooked mm-hmm. and that playwriting was my passion. Well, so. That's so great. We have a lot of people who are interested in different genres. We have people who are like, oh, playwriting is like my thing. It's always great to see that kind of like eclectic talent, especially in Brave New. I know a lot of times some people, this is like their first time being in a festival. Not for you, Olivia. You had another time uh, with Festival Dionysia. Can you guys talk to us about what the Brave New Playwrights experience has been for you? Well, it started um, with our, our class workshopping mm-hmm. the, uh, the pieces that we wrote. And so that gives you sort of a first um, listen to the script because we read through um, all, of the, all of the scripts that come in. Um, and then you, know, you build off of that and submit it to the festival. And then you're sort of working with your director. Um, once, once it's in the festival, the director really takes over and, um, and does the work with, with the actors to really bring it to life. Mm-hmm. 
For me, I saw my very first Brave New play three years ago, and I just remember so clearly sitting mm-hmm. in the audience and a single girl walked onto that stage with a backpack and she pulled a wad of toilet paper out of her bag <laughs> and put it on the stage and I thought, uh-huh. I'm sold. And it was just the most incredible experience. And ever since then, I've always dreamt of being in the Brave New Festival. So, yes. Mm-hmm. I think going back to what Kyle said earlier, there are better stories told on stage than on the page. So I rhyme too. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. So I kind of like just took a story that I had, um, I had in my mind for a few months now, and just kind of ran with it, and then I changed it up a little bit for the story. And um, the experience of being in Brave New has actually been really interesting. Like it's a very collaborative uh, project, and to see it transformed by my director Dale McDonald has been just magical. I think I almost cried the first rehearsal. Really <laughs> attended, yeah. So you guys actually get to sit in on the rehearsal and, and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a great opportunity to see uh, what they bring, what the actors bring to the roles. Uh, there's so much more than just the the written words. You know, so much comes from uh, what they're doing physically and the choices that they're making. Uh, it's it's really great to see that come alive. Do any of you guys perform as well? Ish. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> yeah, um, I used to sing in choirs, which, you know, it's like you have, like, that entire group covering you up. And um, I, I've i read my poems out loud. I've done performance, uh, po- uh, kind of a protest poetry, oh, which cool. we've um, live streamed before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of thing. But so this is, but this is, like, very new. Mm-hmm. It's a new experience. Yeah. Also, new like, experience. little school plays. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely... Uh, when I was 12 or so, I, I was into school plays. Oh. I was like, I was the tree. Yeah. <laughs> or I was the Norwegian salmon. Uh, or, or in my case, I was the one who lost her voice the day before the play, Ooh. which it actually oh, no. happens. It's yeah. crazy. My sister, who painstakingly dedicated hours to help me memorize the script, had to go up there with it herself. I was going to say, thank God. I was like, going to say, thank God you know Semaphore, right? <laughs> Another thing I wanted to add about Brave New is just it's such an incredible environment that encourages daring theater. And that was actually the canon of the judging panel this year was they encouraged us to write a play that we were scared to write, Mm -hmm. a play that would challenge norms, something transgressive. And for instance, a few years ago, there was a play that was put on and in this play, the playwright asked if her main character could be nude on stage. Mm -hmm. And it was actually something that was really discussed in the department. And finally, uh, Brian Wade and everyone decided that it was something that would really add to the integrity of the performance and that the play could not be performed unless this woman marched on completely naked. And so Mm -hmm. that's what happened. And it was an incredible hit. And it's, yeah. That's wonderful. And I love what she said, uh, what you said, actually, about the integrity of the play. So I wanted to ask the open question. Um, in working with a dramaturge and working with your director, has this festival served to make sure the integrity of your play is sustained throughout the entire process? I think absolutely. Like, um, I... I I've worked, uh, so I've worked with Megan Andres, who's my dramaturge, and she's just, mm-hmm. like, really, like, dug into, to, um, into my work, and sometimes, you know, uh, it kind of gives a new layer of character to the people I've written into the play, so it's, um, yeah. Hmm. Megan's amazing. Yeah, she is. 
Mm-hmm. Love you, Megan. <laughs> Shout out to Megan Andre. We love you. <laughs> but were there any like challenges in collaborating with other artists? Because you are the playwright, you have a director, you have your actors, you have lighting and everything. Um, were there any challenges, or was it actually quite a straightforward experience for you guys? I think collaboration is one of the most amazing experiences mm-hmm. that theater offers. I love directors' visions because I don't really see the whole picture. I just write the dialogue Mm -hmm. and I don't really visualize costumes or set pieces really. It's just, it's amazing how it's almost as though when I was paired up with my director, it was as though he understood the world in its complete entirety and just everything that he brought to it. I thought, wow, I love that. I love this. (laughs) Yes, let's go with it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think so much of writing is trying to figure out what it is you're writing as you're doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's been a great experience, I think, to have people um, collaborating and bringing their own visions to it because it helps uh, really create this this thing that's that's nothing more than words on a page when you start. And now that you guys mentioned a little bit more about, you know, the process of working on your plays, for the audience members who are kind of like, listening in, interested, you gave us a little bit of a teaser with the title, but can you give us a, a really brief synopsis without getting too, I guess, spoilery, uh, what your play is about? All right, so I'll start. Uh, so my play is titled Medium, and it's about this um, this 16-year-old girl, Anna, who wishes to talk to her dead grandfather because she has something to tell him. Mm-hmm. So she seeks the help of this medium named Grace, kind of green, um, relatively new wants to make a good impression, and then they talk, end up talking to this ghost named John, who may or may not be Anna's grandfather. Ooh, <laughs> may or amazing. may not. Yeah. That sounds really good. <laughs> this is interesting. You know, the, so there's, I heard a story about um, this dwarf exorcist who escaped from prison. So there's a small <laughs> medium at large. Uh. <laughs> in the Cooper area. I don't know if that's relevant, but... It's also kind of inspired by a real-ish story. Really? What do you mean? Um, I was in the Philippines. I was doing field work in the Philippines for my thesis last year. And um, this is actually like, very cinematic. Cause, um, this is, uh, so I was walking with my half-sister through Chinatown telling a story. So it's like another play in itself. But then we sit down in this church and she tells me um, this horrifying story where they got it co- in contact with a medium because like somebody um, was like threatening to, like you know, to kill people in their house. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Go on. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so this medium g- gets in touch with them. So, like, you know, like, trying to calm down the spirits. Like, you know, please don't kill anybody anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, my half-sister's mom, like, she gets in touch with them for some reason. Wow. Yeah. To, and then she calms down these spirits. <laughs> well, that's actually really interesting. I, I didn't know about that. Thank you for sharing that with us. What a- crazy inspiration yeah amazing the um the places where we take stories from Uh inspired by a true story yeah (laughs) did you witness your mom speaking to the spirits oh that's actually actually my sister's mom i did not but Mm -hmm. apparently my dad our dad made an appearance for this medium as well so that's like basically the root of my play that's crazy well kyle can you let us know more about pizza night yeah pizza night i don't have um anything as interesting of an origin story. No, 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 that's uh, all right. I think Pizza Night is sort of uh, Terminator meets ordering a pizza. Uh, <laughs> so there's a couple uh, who are trying to you know just have a Friday night in, order mm-hmm. a pizza, and uh-huh. that is uh, th- those plans are ruined by a time traveler from the future who's trying to save civilization as we know it. <laughs> and um, 
how did you how did you kind of come up with this idea? Did you already have like a little seed that you're like, no, no, I want to just throw it in here and see what what grows? I mean, I guess it's <laughs> partly inspired by pizzas that I've ordered. <laughs> um, Do tell. <laughs> no. Uh, like you order a pizza and a giant blonde man in a trench coat and sunglasses comes in. Are you Sarah Ann Connor? You look around. No. Okay. Here's your pizza. Have a good night. Yeah, I don't want to give away. And too you like much. tip him a hundred. Like, okay, please go away. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it's it's. I don't want to give too much away mm, about the ending of it, but um, I did want to kind of look at. Um, what would you do in that situation, right? It's so crazy, mm-hmm. uh, and it comes into your everyday life, and uh, how do you make that work and eventually, hopefully, have pizza at the end of the night? <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a really funny and also action-packed, so if people want to see it, that's pizza night. One thing occurs to me, the Terminator was supposed to blend in. He was supposed to be an assassin. Yeah. So they made him bordering on seven feet tall, ripped to shreds, and p- peroxide blonde. And naked. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't usually see that guy walking down the street a lot. Like, just Well, you know, where, where was he also, like, where was he kind of, like, you know, like, born? He popped up in Griffith Park, I think. Well, there you go. Okay, now L.A., okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, just so you know, somebody has given an amazing amount for Fundrive. Thank you to Dean, $101.9 to support Fundrive. Ooh. That's awesome. Thank you, Dean. He and his brother Sam hunt demons, don't they? Ha <laughs> ha Supernatural joke. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. It occurs to me that Jared Padalecki has played two Deans now. Or no, he played Dean on Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. And is he Sam on Supernatural? I don't know. Yeah, watch he's it. Sam on Supernatural. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much to Dean. Thank you so much for supporting Fundrive, uh, CATR. It's, again, run by volunteers. It's run by people who actually support us through Fundrive. Thank you so much for donating. And, again, thank you. Um, back to back to uh, what we were talking about. Olivia, please tell us about your play and the inspiration behind it. Sure. My play is called The Hoarder. And it's about a man who lives in an apartment building. And he has a whole bunch of boxes in his apartment. And in the piece, he is going to share what is inside those boxes. Yes. The inspiration for this piece was extremely unexpected. So I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with James and Jamesy. Oh, yes, we are. The comedy duo. We actually did. I love their work. It's amazing. We did a review on the Arts Report, actually. I saw Two for Tea. And then I saw In the Dark. And I just fell in love with their work. They're really extraordinary artists. And so I decided that I really wanted to meet with Aaron Malkin and Mm -hmm. ask about their process. And so we ended up meeting up for sushi. And within within the first five minutes or so, he's sitting there across from me. And suddenly he goes, ah-choo! And he sneezes. (laughs) Sorry, Mike. And he sneezed right into his shirt. And... He looks up at me and says, I'll save that for later. And I just thought that was hilarious. And anyway, after our lovely session, I was waiting for the bus to arrive. And I sort of this idea just developed in my mind. And I started imagining what kind of person would save their own snot for later. (laughs) And then I imagined a hoarder that Mm -hmm. had reached that perturbed extent where they would even hoard their own snot. 
and make a snot statue out of it. And so in the first draft of this play I wrote, one of the objects that my hoarder had was a miniature snot statue that was about two centimeters tall on a piece of cardboard. And it gets revealed in the play, of course. I stuck to that snot statue for a long time, but Mm -hmm. in the end we ended up taking it out of the piece so that it would be a more emotional rather than absurd play. Mm -hmm. Like, Jeff, there's got to be a snot statue. (laughs) No! (laughs) We have to make some concessions here. (laughs) Well, let's let's talk uh, about... um now that we kind of have an idea of your plays, let's talk to the process of writing them a little bit. Let's go back to playwriting workshops. And for anyone who's interested in going into playwriting, into kind of like, or maybe even thinking of like, I want to try it out, like you guys have done, uh, Carla and Kyle, can you tell us how is it different from writing a poetry piece, from writing a novel, from something else? What's the focus on writing a play for you? I think, um, well, obviously, you know, it's dialogue focused, right? Mm-hmm. Everything, everything that happens in a play has to happen. Uh, you have to be able to see it or or have it spoken aloud. So there's no there's no internal monologues and little things. You know, um, if you have a character with a name, somebody has to uh, call them by their name, right? <laughs> Otherwise, nobody knows who they are. Uh, so it's those little things. We're just trying to put all of the internal details of your characters on the outside so that mm-hmm. everybody can see them. I think for me as a poet, what I struggle with the most with writing plays is that they're always ten more pa- ten pages longer than my poetry. <laughs> <laughs> the page count. So like throughout the semester, I think like one that's like that's one thing I've constantly struggled with. Like okay, like I'm able to tell the story in a poem in like fifteen lines, mm-hmm. but I have to like extend this to ten pages, <laughs> maybe more. You can't maybe do that 20. in a play unless unless well unless you're Samuel Beckett. Yeah, as we know. Right. You can make like a 15 second play. Just one breath. <laughs> curtain. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Megan was telling me that they decided to have a Beckett uh, collection of plays. They did, and they yeah. had an intermission. And after the intermission, when everyone came back, they put on that play. Yeah, they the did. The one breath, and then it was over. We saw that this year. Like, everybody get back <laughs> in their seat. Okay, everybody stand up. It's over. Like, there's a standing <laughs> ovation. Like. Well, what about you, Olivia? Like, w- when you're writing your plays, like, what do you like to focus on? Oh, what I love so much about playwriting that I think is exclusive to playwriting is mm-hmm. that it is all dialogue. And I love to talk. Mm. I talk in my sleep. <laughs> I love having my characters in my head talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, they medicated me for that. <laughs> <laughs> and... Yes, and so in playwriting, I get to tap into that guilty obsession of speech mm-hmm. at all times. One thing I also noticed about playwriting that's very immediate is when you read it and you see the actors on stage, like the body, especially occupying that space, you get such a strong feeling, especially even even from a reading too. It feels like a storyteller telling you a thing. That's like the one thing I really do like about um, a piece on stage, I think. Like that liveness when you're sitting there as an audience member that you feel. And you guys have already um, seen a Brave New um, show before. How did it feel to be an audience member in that uh, space, which is Studio 1398, Granville Island? (laughs) Bit of a plug there. (laughs) So subtle, nobody noticed. I know. (laughs) I shouldn't have drawn attention to it. I noticed. (laughs) I think it's, you know, it's great... To, to go and be part of it, right? Even if you're mm-hmm. just an audience member. I know last year, um, actually, I think 
this was the one that, that you wrote actually <laughs> last year. Uh, Go the bus. Yeah, the bus. <laughs> Thanks, friends. Um, it's just great to see people, in that case, people were actually brought out of the audience, right, and, mm-hmm. and had to sort of learn to be actors on, on the spur of the moment and to see what they were able to do and how the actors on stage were able to, to work with them was, is something really amazing that you can't get in any other sort of space besides, besides live theater. Um, but in, in, in all of them that I saw last year, um, there's just this great energy between you know, what's mm-hmm. happening on stage and, and there's always like an immediate reaction. You know, when a joke uh, it, you know, goes over well, everybody, everybody's in on it, right? Everybody's laughing together and it's a really great thing to be part of. I was actually <laughs> stage running for the show when the bus was running, oh. and my greatest regret in my entire life mm-hmm. is that I never got to see the show from the audience. Every <laughs> night, I just heard that one line of, oh, hi, you know, when they pull another guy, the guy pulls another guy beside him and says, you're you're very beautiful, you know, and of course, that awkward, sort of hilarious giggle mm-hmm. and laugh that followed afterwards, and oh, I just wish that I could see it. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually uh, raised something kind of interesting. You actually, you were a stage runner for Brave New. Yes. What does that mean? It was so fun. Just moving furniture around, mm-hmm. and then I got to exclusively listen to the dialogue. And I think this ties in really well with your previous question, uh, Ashley, is that it's amazing hearing the dialogue, but it really is the acting that just that makes the play. And so when I was in the curtain there, it was such a privilege to get to hear every play mm-hmm. each night. But, oh, it was really missing something that I didn't get to sit in that audience and experience the full impact mm-hmm. of the play and those actors. So you have a lot of like even like background sort of uh, experience with Brave New too, um, stage running and all that. That's actually really interesting. And um, if people want to do that, is is that like a volunteer like a volunteer position or? It was. I was asked by Megan the first year, and this year I volunteered, so the spots were stolen instantly because stage running is so fun. So I'm sorry, but there's no spots left. Of course, of course. But in the future, if people want to do that, that can be a, yes, a thing absolutely. to get involved. Yes, uh, I would highly recommend if it. If people yeah. want to kind of see like the, the workings of live theater, especially a, a festival such as Brave New, really interesting. Carla, what are, I'm sorry that we kind of like, no, that's whoa, okay. I know, that's right? Okay. Yeah. But what was, what's your experience as an audience for live theater? Like, how do you feel? Um... When I saw Brave New last year, it was a very interesting experience because, like, there's a, these are, like, really compact stories, like, 10 to 15 minutes, and you get to see a few of them. Mm-hmm. And what I love about writing in general is that, you know, you write how you see the world. You write people. And, like, these are, like, so what I'm seeing is, like, how do these six different plays mm-hmm. um, experience the world in different ways? And I think that was, like, the greatest part of it. And then mm-hmm. just, like, the mm-hmm. amount of stories people had to tell and, like, um, you know, I think that ultimately stories about, are about people and mm-hmm. like, you know, I could see like little nuggets of like everybody I know and like every character that I saw. Mm-hmm. Now, it, regarding that, you know, if, if writing is indicative of the way you see the world, how do you think, I guess, I guess, how do you feel about putting yourself out there that way? Because mm-hmm. that's a very, it's, it's a strange relation the audience has to the writing of the piece because they experience mm-hmm. it through the actors, through that Good medium. Question. So as, as writers... Do you feel that that person would come away, say, knowing more about you than someone who's spoken to you personally? Or... <laughs> I hear laughter. <laughs> I think it's, so, it's such a, it's a weird experience because, like, 
it's it's a collaborative project, right? Like once you give your writing to the director, once the director decides to take on what you wrote, it's completely out of your hands. Like, really? Is it is it always out of your hands though? I don't know. If, maybe if you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's curtain. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but yeah, so once you leave them with the um, once you leave them to take their because uh, for me when I worked with um, Dan McDonald, like he, I just told him like you know. I know you're gonna do a great job. Um, just you know, we can talk some things out if something's mm-hmm. confusing. But like otherwise, like it's it's yours. It's out of my hands. Um, you you all of you get to interpret this however way you want. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's kind of a terif- terrifying feeling, but also like really exciting because when you see it, it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially if they really are inspired by your work and have like a, a good interpretation of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of liberating. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, when I met with Brennan Campbell, uh, my director, I sort of said, "This is this is your project now, and if mm-hmm. there's anything that you have questions about or anything that just needs to change in the script, then I'm here. But uh, all the decisions uh, that need to be made about how to stage it are, are the director's, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's kind of nice to be able to fade into the background a little bit as the writer and let the actors and the director sort of be the face of it and be the ones that people will remember." Mm-hmm. Totally. Yes. A huge shout out to my director, Matthew Sprout, by the way. I handed off the script to him as well, similarly. And it's so amazing watching what he's doing with everything. And I think for me personally, the experience of watching a play, it's just one of the most extraordinary feelings. It touches every sense in you and it's really life altering. And it was strange because the very first play I ever wrote was called Foreplay. And so I just remembered when Kevin Hatch first met me, he was like, oh, so you wrote this play. And it was a really, anyway, it was just really funny. That's So you guys feel that you're, that this, um, the worldview espoused in these plays is as much the director's as your own? Absolutely. Sort of presentation of it? Yeah, I would I think say so. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I just want to, again, thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, I wanted to ask for like, a last word from you guys. Advice that you'd give to somebody who is um, trying to get into Brave New. Like, it can be short and sweet. It can be long and heartfelt. But the most honest advice you can give to somebody, and one that's a personal one from you. I'd just say if you really, really want it more than you've ever wanted anything in your life, you're mm-hmm. going to get it. I'd say uh, give it a try, right? I Last year I was there uh, at Brave New just taking people's tickets, just volunteering there and getting to watch the, the plays. And then mm-hmm. uh, this year I'm, I'm able to be involved and write. So, yeah, go 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 see the plays. And uh, if you're inspired to write something, write it. I agree. Yeah, go first of all. Yeah, go, go <laughs> see Brave New. Um, but yeah, um, a second, yeah, I would say, like, just give it a shot. Like, you know, there's really nothing to lose. And... Um, third, I guess um, the way I worked is I listened to people. Like uh, the the mm-hmm. best characters I've ever gotten for plays is the one like you know people I know. So I listen to them and like you know like we all have our little quirks and the ways we talk are it's uh, different inflections. And I think mm-hmm. that's uh, one way to like really bring in a really human element into um, our writing. That sounds really beautiful. Thank you guys so much. Um, and I'll just give one last advice for me, because I'm in it too. <laughs> um, it's called Brave New for a reason. Definitely try something new. It's not always going to work. 
sometimes there are things that just can't be uh, staged because of limitations that are out of your control. But I don't think uh, it should deter anybody. What do you mean we need three live cockatoos? <laughs> I need it or else. Why do we need a bucket of ice and a gallon of olive oil? This makes no sense. We need it or else. But anyways, anyways, and also stick to your vision. I know that collaboration is also really great, but if you have something that you are really, really proud of, that you know it's like a vision that best describes the world that you want, definitely go for it. It might not get understood, but it might even get staged. Who knows? It is brave new playwrights for a reason. And just to ask you guys, if people want to get tickets, where can they go? What days are your shows running? The festival runs March 23rd to 26th. Please go to the Brave New Playwrights website and just click on tickets, and then you can purchase your tickets right there on brown paper bag tickets. Yep. It's uh, bravenew.ca is the website. There. Wonderful. And where is it located? Studio 1398 on Granville Island. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Anyways, thank you so much for uh, joining us again. This is Olivia, Kyle, and Carla. And for Brave New Playwrights, we're going to go into a few uh, short messages. You are listening to The Arts Report on CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muslim territory in Vancouver. Thank you so much for joining us. What do you mean? Thanks yeah, so much for having wear us. a kilt made of bananas. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> On Friday, March 17th, come out to the Polish Community Center to join CITR and Discorder in celebrating our community's generosity and hard work with the Fun Drive finale. Featuring one-off, never-heard-before performances by Tim the Mute, Hick, Puzzlehead, Ashley Shadow, Swim Team, and Missy D and Lady Jams. Can't make it out? The night will be live broadcast at 101.9 FM and at CITR.ca. And for the first time ever, it will be streaming live on video. Uh There will also be a very special publication featuring poetry and visual art from the performers free with entry. Tickets are $10 in advance and $12 at the door, with all proceeds going towards CITR's Fun Drive. Hey there! This ad caught your attention. It also caught the attention of the coolest people from Squamish to Bellingham, music fans, students, and members of various cultural communities. If you want your ad to do the same, advertise with CITR and Discorder. If you've got a rad new ad or just something you want to share, whether in print, on air, or online, promote your wares, services, or events with us. Contact us at advertising at citr.ca or call 604-822-4342. Visit citr.ca for rates, information, and packages. This is the end of our ad, and if you're still here, we must be doing something right. 20 seconds. Okay, uh, okay, here we go. Um, the first word, uh, courage. If I've got courage... Uh, you're strong. No, you're, uh, 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 I'm going you're, off to war. Uh, brave, brave. Y- yes, ding. Um, the next word, uh, I'm not old. I'm New. Yes, yes, so brave, new. Brave, new. Uh, I've got zits. I've got... Um, Spots, my, uh, no, pimples, uh, no, no, no. D- dot. Yes, and then the last one, uh, I'm not going <laughs> out to the com, ocean. Com, no, next, uh, keep going. I'm not going to the ocean. Net, I'm going to the... Uh, uh, .ca. C-A, <laughs> yes. Brave New Playwrights. It's a theater festival. Bravenew.ca. The most powerful motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. (laughs) You know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined 
to show them that I could. All Access Pass is back for season two. We are a collectively run weekly program that discusses equity, inclusion, and accessibility issues on and off UBC's campus, including both visible and invisible disabilities. You can catch All Access Pass every Thursdays from 2 to 3 p.m. Anyone can get involved. No experience is necessary. People of all abilities are welcome to join. Check us out on Facebook at All Access Pass or get involved by emailing accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. UBC Theatre and Film presents Les Belles by Michel Tremblay, translated into English by Bill Glasgow and John Van Burek. Raucous. Realistic. Women. Set in 1965 against the backdrop of Quebec's quiet revolution, 15 women tell their story as lurking resentments ignite against Germain, the lucky winner of one million gold star tickets. Reimagined by MFA director Diane Brown and choreographed by Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg, Les Belsur ends our theater season with a foot-stomping bang, running March 16th to April 1st. Curtain at 7.30 in the Frederick Wood Theater. Student tickets only 11.50. Tickets available at theaterfilm.ubc.ca. This stupid, rotten life. Stupid, rotten life. Oh boy, I'm really excited for that. Label Sir, it's happening. That's tomorrow, right? It's happening. Yep, and we actually have a wonderful uh, interview with the set designers, which we'll get to later after this review of Festival Dionysia. I really recommend for people to listen in and to uh, let us know about uh, Label Sir, especially when it's until, because you might be eligible for a giveaway. Oh, really? Ooh, Delightful. Very interesting. All right. Um, let's go right into Festival Dionysia. It started on March 11th, and I know started March 8th, and at the 11th, um, we went to see it. Went to see it on yeah. the Thursday. Yeah, I don't, we have uh, our special guest, Andy Ta. Hello, everybody. Oh, good afternoon. <laughs> Andy. <laughs> I totally, totally forgot we to introduce you. I just, I just felt know. like you I was were. Just, I was waiting for the introduction. I just felt like you were here the entire time. I was. You were here in my heart. Oh, yes. thank Aww. you audience cue. So, Festival Dionysia. <laughs> Festival Dionysia. Um, well, pen. Cool. yeah, let's get right into it. So, uh, there are uh, six plays for uh, Festival Dionysia. Were. There were six yeah. plays, and uh, it started with uh, Family Matters, written by uh, Danica Nad, directed by uh, Stefan Zubovic, and mm -hmm. that was the opener. I actually had a lot of high hopes for Family Matters, to be honest with you. Because mm -hmm, we interviewed Danica on the show. Yeah, we, we did. Um, I can see wh where she was going with the, definitely the, the friendship between the three girls was, um, you know, kind of on the cusp of, like, breaking apart. They've kind of grown up. I would say one has grown up. I wouldn't say the other two have really grown up. Like, one has definitely, in my point of view of watching the play, grown up. Other two, maybe not. Um, how did you how did you feel about it, Andy? So quick, so quick synopsis, right? Yeah. So this is like uh, you know, the girls are back in town story. This is their first year mm -hmm. uh, in college. Out, like, in college, right? Yeah. They're coming back for a break or something like that. Yeah. They're coming back to their high school, uh, and they get trapped in an elevator. It's kind of like a bottle episode, except it's not TV. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're kind of working through these these like uh, unresolved um, feelings. All these emotions. These emotions that are popping up again. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the, the story, right? Like, and also there's the cousins, apparently. There, yeah, it was it was kind of hard to figure out. And yeah. that was like the main, I guess, 
thing that made Family Matters hard to kind of like understand for me as an audience member is that you don't really understand the relationship of the characters. It's never outlined that they're strictly like cousins, I think, later on, but it's like already too late within the play in yeah, the beginning. I th- yeah, I think you come to realize it um, yeah. like probably around halfway. Yeah, you, you think yeah. that in the beginning they're friends maybe or... Or triplets even. Or I thought even triplets. I thought they might have been triplets. Like yeah. the actors are not triplets, but the way they kind of, you know, there's a line where, um, you know, oh, the teacher confused me with you. Yeah. I was, oh, maybe they're triplets, but mm-hmm. I don't think they're triplets. No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> and and the one thing about Family Matters is that, <laughs> it's so funny, she, she didn't know the name of another uh, show, but the, the main thing about Family Matters is I don't know if the characters had changed. I don't know if I if I watched something that is like a point of change. I just felt like they were stuck in an elevator, and then it was also kind of like the play was stuck in like a single beat of the girls just really, really hating one another. Yeah, um, I mentioned this to you like at the time, but it, it, it's very rare that you see characters like this or like any character like just really tear into each other mm-hmm. without like being enemies outright. Like, they're supposed to be friends, family, or whatever, but they were just, they were so mean to each other. It was, like, so wild to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, it's it like, just... It's, like, so much gendered, so many, like, gendered slurs, and, like, <laughs> it's just really mean. And that that's what got me to kind of, like, not really root for a single character. Because I don't, um, they just had the same beat of, like, I can't stand you, but you're my family, so I have to. And you don't really have to. If you're stuck in a very toxic situation, I felt that it was literally a toxic situation mm-hmm. in which... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the girls, like, faced two of them. One of them, not really. She was just in the background, literally, for most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I kind of was like, okay, you, no, no offense, but I don't think you need to be there. Because the main conflict was between these two girls. One who's a little, I would say, uh, for lack of a better word, mousy. Sure, yeah. Yeah, the and the other one's, one's like a kind of the alpha, alpha, alpha sister. The you know? alpha sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and it's always been that sister bullying the other one for no reason at times, too. I, the, I think the, the dichotomy is best summed up by the, the former went to NYU and the latter went to USC. And it's kind of like, like you don't really have much to complain about. You went to a private school, both at NYU and USC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the main girl, the the one who was quite um, strong, headstrong, she even chose to go to like a different place. The other two went to NYU. She yeah. chose to go to USC, or... which is like in their hometown. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like their hometown, but it's in California, and they live in California, right? Yeah, so I'm guessing it's their hometown. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's like a dry, short drive away. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I, I think they were trying really hard to make it seem like these girls are horrible to one another, but they care about one another. But you never really got that feeling. I didn't really get the feeling because it bordered on melodrama at times. Like, ah, oh, but it you... bordered on. Whoa, yeah. Well, I think the main point that we, we haven't mentioned yet is that there's, there's a brother. There's a brother. There's I'm a brother who getting... dies of, like, alcohol-induced... He's drunk, drunk driving, driving right? yeah. He crashed a car. He's, like, an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and you, he's there for, like, in the past scenes, in the flashback scenes, but he's not... In the present, right? Yeah, and the main problem with the with the brother, I thought, was the inconsistent characterization. In the beginning, he's portrayed as this very steadfast young man, and maybe that's his like outside personality. And then in the inside, he's like, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I'm like partying too much. But because <laughs> we were so caught up on how he acted in the first few scenes, it just took us by surprise. Like, why is he acting this way? I think that would probably make more sense if the play was staged differently because it was hard to tell when things were going on and I, I think would say that, that was um, that would have 
clarified the script like because that character was of of the main of the characters in this play because I saw this one mm-hmm. um, uh, earlier on that was the character that made the most sense to me because that is um uh, of the people there all these people kind of hate each other yeah that's a person who hates themselves mm-hmm. and okay. that's sort of I that I thought was the one that got across clearly and he is the only character who kind of had an arc it's not a positive arc true. You know, like, steadfast, drunk, dead. Uh, mm-hmm. To be fair, that's, like, still one more step than Jim Morrison had. <laughs> oh, my but, God. <laughs> uh, but um, he, uh, th- I-, I got where they were going with that more so than the others. Mm-hmm. And that was, that is, that, I thought he was the better part of the play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see where they were going with uh, the three girls as well. I don't think it ever yeah, quite got there at the end. And it, it kind of acts so. like it did. It acts like there's a resolution, but yeah. it doesn't really quite yeah. reach it on its own terms. No, not at all. I, I still feel like there's so much unresolved tension in mm. the three characters and a few, like, band-aid, like, words. Like, oh, boy, you're still going to get me, like, presents, right? Like, oh, of course. Like, that didn't solve anything. She just called you horrible things in, in the past hour or so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, by the time they leave the elevator, like, fundamental relationships have been undermined. <laughs> Yeah. Like just uh, and, and it ends like as if everything the relationships are reaffirmed. So uh, like, mm-hmm. just yeah. It doesn't really end. It didn't sort really of. feel like the girl was actually breaking free, which I thought would be the main point of the plot based on what we've seen with all of mm-hmm. them just like basically coming down hard on this <laughs> one girl. I keep clapping, but they were really coming down hard on this one yeah. girl. I thought she'd be like, "You know what? I didn't do this." I don't care if your blood sever. Sever, that's right. Just sever. Blood yeah. is not thicker than water. That's bye bye. Get out of my life. About. And not nearly as refreshing. Not not as refreshing either. That's that's right. That's that's, that's right. right. Don't drink blood. Don't drink blood to refresh yourself mm-hmm. unless you're really desperate. Which and, is and you're a vampire. And you're a vampire. Which is this is interesting because the next show also was based in family relations, mm-hmm. and that was bedtime. That was bedtime. Written okay. by Mary Gallagher, directed by Madeline Walker. I loved this show. Okay, someone give us an synopsis. Okay. I'll give you 10 seconds. Go for it. All right. There's two girls. I think they are of, like, you know, like, elementary school. Like pre-adolescent. Yeah, right? Kind of like. young. And one girl is asleep. Another girl's awake. And she is just freaked out about the thought of forever. Basically, life after death. So she wakes up the other one and asks, hey, hey, uh, can we talk about God? Yeah. As you do. Um, and that one, that one was funny because it did. I, uh... <laughs> I, 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 I did like that play a lot because I and I saw that play every night because I was on after it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. play was on after it. Yeah. And um, the two actors actors in this play, they they were they had incredible chemistry. And yeah, it was just really impressive scene. And that was they had that when they showed up for mm-hmm. rehearsals. The one thing that I would recommend um, UBC Players Club to do in the future is please give a list of actors in your programs. Because I want to know who were in your plays. Yeah, and I think also I even on like the website would be great too. They have like the playwright and the director, which is great. But I want to know who was acting in it. Because they credit everyone else, I think. Right? Yeah, they had like a little meet the cast like poster. Yeah, a poster board like in the hall outside. Yeah, but, but like, I, I everyone want else to... is credited in the program. Yeah, they itself. should be credited in the program. Yeah. That's like the one advice I would give. It just seems to... odd that they wouldn't be. Yeah, to UBC Players Club because the two actors in bedtime sold the story. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. I think, like, if the hardest thing that we were talking about, Andy, the, the hardest things to portray on stage are young children, old people, drunk people. 
and there yeah. were all three. There were all three in the in the in the yeah in the, the enti- entire entire course of the show. Yeah. yeah, and the only thing I really liked about bedtime is how kind of like cheerful and darling like the little girls are, and they're talking about huge existential crisis kind of like what do we do what is like death what is the concept of forever does it Mm -hmm. really exist if it doesn't am i okay with it there's a long sequence on the book of revelation on what is the book of revelations more or less yeah how does it work logistically right Mm -hmm. that's kind of what they're discussing yeah i was um a bit skeptical at first because you know it's like oh you know children like being portrayed by you know presumably actors in their early 20s late teens right it seems kind of weird mm-hmm. but i was really taken by the actors and even as like a piece of writing it's it's really strong mm-hmm. um, a lot of it is like this the distance right the disconnect between uh these children right yep. talking about you know the meaning of life right yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> imminent death yeah basically you know the fragility of of like human existence mm-hmm. right and what happens after you die and it, like it kind of works on a level but even like uh uh, as an as an acted player, right? it's like that that dissonance carries over. It's um, uh, adult actors like portraying yeah. children, right? So there's kind of like a, a reinforcing of uh, dissonances there. Mm-hmm. And I have to agree with what you said, Jake, about the chemistry between the two actors. Really great. Like um, mm. you can totally see like the 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 ones like the older sister and ones like the younger sister. Yeah. And their energy levels match their characters so well. No one felt like they had like a just a flat beat throughout they had both of them had like arcs there was like mm-hmm. a lot of like reversals like i'm like more right no i'm more right so that constant like struggle in between Weaving in and out sort of the, the thing that right. the dialogue did a lot in this show which i really like this mm-hmm. is hard to write well is that their conversations sort of weave in and out of each other yeah yeah and the perspective switches and they actually made that very kinetic, too, on stage, because they're kind of hopping around a lot, because that's what mm-hmm. you do when you're a little kid. You hop around while you talk. It's just really well done, and yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed bedtime a lot. Oh, yeah, as did I. And I think the thing about that, too, as a minimal play, there wasn't a lot to put on stage, which is just good logistically. Yep. Our play, on the other hand... Let's talk about Doris Darling, written yeah. by Linnea Ritland, directed by Sebastian Okoa Mendoza. Yep, that's Great. him. And uh, we know the cast list for this one because. Uh, well, we don't. We don't really know the cast list, but well, could you let us but know the starring? But it's starring, starring Jake, Jake Clark. Clark. Yeah. And do you know the other castmates? Yes. Um, Joel played mm-hmm. um, Doris, and and Cynthia was played by Denise. She was great. I yeah. loved the old people. So the makeup in this is actually really amazing. Right? Amazing. Yeah. There's a funny story about that. So can you guys? Summarize the play. Yes, let's give it like, let's, uh, let's do it. Um, there's an old the woman named Doris, and she is visited by, I believe, a friend? I, I, the, I don't really understand the... It's, really, it's her sister. It's right? her sister? Yeah, oh, it's, excuse me. It's, it's, it's literally her oh, sister. Oh, my, my bad, my yeah. bad. Oh, <laughs> I guess I have some ear problems, Sunny. I'm getting old. Well, I have them from time to time, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, she's visited by her sister, Cynthia, who mm-hmm. is recently deceased and needs money to pass over to the afterlife because Chiron's like... Charon, you, you need to yes. pass that. Uh, you need There's to give me fer- that fair. The, the ferryman to, yep. uh, to yes. Hades, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, so so she comes mm-hmm. back to borrow some money from Doris and ends up spilling a little uh, tea about Doris's husband, Harold. Yeah, and I I played Harold. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a fairly it was fairly uh, interesting casting, and we we can spoil it. Um, yeah. Actually, you guys want to spoil it because I was in the show, so you guys recap. You guys. No, no, it. we want to hear no, your no. insider point of view. Come, Come on. on. 
So let's talk about the makeup. Was it like getting into old man makeup? Okay, so here's the funny thing about that. Uh, we're playing characters who are in their late 80s. No, 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 late, late 70s, early 80s mm-hmm. about. Okay. Um, they look like that too. Yeah. He, well, the funny thing is, um, uh, so to do this, we had to whiten up our hair a little bit at different points. Like Denisa, Denisa Rambling and Joel Rundo, by the way, are the names. Sorry, I mm-hmm. just drawn a blank there. Um, so what Denisa did, um, because Cynthia is slightly older than Doris, but she's also sort of a very breezy matinee idol, so right. larger than life persona. She, she's so like she, an actress. She'd probably Glamorous. dye her hair. And the original thought was to have a platinum wig like Dusty Springfield, but oh, even okay. she wouldn't be buried in that. So she just whitened up. Her hair's black. Um, it's kind of interesting because uh, Joel's white and Denise is Filipino. Mm-hmm. So that that was a, a, a dynamic. Like, they, they look very different in the final get-up we had because Denise had, the, uh, as, as Cynthia had, the slight whitened roots but otherwise dark hair and this sort of uh, figure-hugging black dress and this gaudy hat, which was a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a fascinator, an Hermé fascinator, and she got it from Hermes. Um <laughs> That was a good one. I yeah, like that one. Yeah, that's a good and joke. Joelle as Doris, on the other hand, is just wearing like a nightgown in her hair. She's blonde like me, so we actually whitened our hair. What we used every time was talcum powder. We used baby powder. Talcum powder. And um, during the first show, here's the thing. Um, I, I had so much talcum powder in my hair that when I move, I left sort of like a small corona <laughs> of it behind me. <laughs> it looked like someone sneezed in the cocaine. It was like... Oh, wow. It was... Um, and like, there's one time when I just hop on, and then afterwards, like, yeah, right, right in front of me was this small cloud of talcum wow. powder, and um, it was great for my scalp. But, uh, and the funny thing is, Denisa and Joelle both did makeup on their face to look uh, significantly older. Mm-hmm. Um, Joelle said, "Get this very creaky voice like that." Um, now, when I asked Sebastian, uh, the director said, "Sebastian, do I need makeup on my face?" He's like, "No, you're fine." <laughs> <laughs> The shade yeah. of it all. It's like I don't know how to take that, <laughs> and but yeah, I like the thing is that uh, for me, like I got, it's it's he's not he's not wrong, mm-hmm. like they're not gonna be able to count my pores, mm-hmm. like, it, and like Denisa and Joel, I look older than my stated age. Denise, Denise and Joel, Denise actually looks younger than her stated age, and Joel looks exactly her stated age. So they had to age up, when I was like, I kind of I can kind of. Oh, the, the, the white hair. Mm-hmm. I look kind of like, kind of like, look kind of like. True David. thespian. You can even act the age, right? Oh, yeah, you did a really good job. Well, uh, Joelle and I both did different voices. So Joelle did this really scratchy voice like this. And uh, I had to do, so I cycled through a few different voices mm-hmm. during rehearsals because um, I didn't know exactly what to do for the old man. Uh, first I did like a, like a Richard Burton voice. Like sort of like, sort of like, sort of like, sort of like mm-hmm. the face of God. It's a bit uh-huh. hard to uh Understand. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. It, it, well, I also couldn't pitch that one up because uh-huh. it's really nasal. And it was Anthony Hopkins at. He doesn't seem very buffoony. Room with a view, seems... agents, darling. I want to see a tree. So eventually, we abandoned. <laughs> we abandoned the Welsh accent entirely, and they uh-huh. said, "What else can you do?" I'm like, "I can do Jimmy Stewart." I said, "All right, let's give this a try." Mm-hmm. And that's what I ended up doing for Harold. You see, it was sort of a Jimmy Stewart voice, like this, a little bit. Not really a Jimmy Stewart voice, because it kind of got away from me a couple times. <laughs> but um, the S's were a problem. The S's with that through the teeth. Um, and that, that was fun. And a lot of this, this was Joelle and Denise's show. I was really a side character. Harold had the least lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a great presence. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the few minutes you were on stage were actually like just really electrifying. Yeah, I would. I was thinking the word electrifying too. Wow, great minds. I know. That's why my hair stood on end. <laughs> that and the talcum powder was holding it up. Uh-huh. Um, but the the twist in it is that Denisa reveals that Harold has been unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking at Harold, you wouldn't think so. Like, that was like the main, and that's like the main comedy of it. We're like, Harold, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, that, they say that verbatim. Mm-hmm. And then, like the, the my favorite scene. Well, actually, my favorite scene was is when uh, Denisa was telling, uh, as Cynthia was telling her about going to the afterlife. But after that, there's a scene where Harold, who thinks there's burglars in the house, bursts in, sees uh, Cynthia with Doris, and. He he wears glasses, so he pulls on. He's like, "Oh, Cynthia," and he goes, "No way, Cynthia!" And Cynthia pretends to be another woman, is what Doris thinks, and um, named Emmeline, and puts the moves on Harold. And to do this effect, do you want to explain what we did? There was a lot of like cuckolding, which is really funny. Um, the effect is basically, I think, like I think she just took like a like a uh, like a fabric and just like draped it on herself, or like made herself oh, look yeah, like a yeah. like a modern art piece or something. I mean, the music cue. Oh, whoops! I wasn't thinking that. Sorry, buddy. So, oh okay. yeah, it was um, what was the song? Careless Whisper. Careless Whisper. Right, yeah, yeah. right. She like she so she. I was thinking the saxophones, but I can't like put a name to it. Went up and snapped, and then the <laughs> lights go red. Careless Whisper by Wham starts playing, yeah. and then like she just starts really vamping Harold, mm-hmm. and that was that was a lot of fun because it's really over the top. It is. And like it takes maybe a second to persuade Harold that his wife is a hat rack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because she puts her hat on Doris's head, and he was just paralyzed with uh, confusion, um, and that th- th- that sort of the thing. And it ends with Harold revealing that the person he had the affair with was actually Cynthia, mm-hmm. and that the name Emmeline was what they used during role play, mm-hmm. which is very odd. It, it's, it's, it's a very odd like situation, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, like, and, and that's like that's like the absurd part is that you have all these like old people, and they're like just like you know. Horny. This is really horny. The Just... safe word is Tubalcane. Oh, no. Oh, that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had an intermission, and then yeah. we went to a um, another story called Lonely Hearts, written by yes. David Lewis, directed by Scott Franchuk. I like the aesthetic they were going with visually. Did I like the actual story of the play? Okay, so, like, we need to give a synopsis again. Yeah. So. Let's do it. Okay, um, so it's basically Victorian uh, Ghostbusters, right? Victorian Ghostbusters-ish. Sort there's of. a painter. Uh, there's like, I don't know, is he a butler? Is he a ghost? He's an investigator. He's an investigator. Yeah. Okay, I would not have gotten that from the outfit, to be honest. And, and then there's like a doctor. Uh, archaeologist. Okay, okay she's okay. an archaeologist. Egyptologist, specifically. Oh, okay. Okay, great. So there's a... Uh, I thought she was like a grave digger or something. Yeah, because she's... She, the, the oh, she is actually literally yeah, a grave digger. She's Egyptologist. She excavated yeah, okay. the, the oh, tombs okay. in Memphis. Right, yeah. okay. So, anyway, they... Not like Graceland. As in they Memphis are like... <laughs> they're haunted by these ghosts in the doctor's um, giant lavish mansion. And the painter is like an alcoholic. And like, she used to like have... Um, some sort of like past with the inspector. I think she was like maybe a detective. Was she a detective? Yeah, she was. She okay. seemed to like it, the implica- implication was that she was more serious about ghost hunting before, and yeah. now she's just drinking or drinking and yeah, painting. drinking and painting. Yeah. I will just say one thing. Um, again, drunk people are really hard to portray. Not believable drunk person. I don't think so either. No, not believable drunk person. She was it, more like lucid and afraid. I would say yeah. just. Waxing poetic and drinking wine to make herself feel more fancy. <laughs> That's what I would say. But I'm taking like a really like cr- critiquing sort of way because I 
thought the premise was really cool. Aesthetic is cool. Language was the main barrier. Language was like the really the main barrier to yeah. enjoyment of this play because you had really great sound effects, you had great lighting mm. and everything, but they talked in as you mentioned Victorian esque. Edwardian would be okay. It's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's yeah. the same thing. Edward didn't live that long. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, and <laughs> I I think I know they were going with that kind of mm. like atmosphere and whatnot, but yeah. you were mentioning this while we were talking about it. But when the people of that era were writing it. They were writing to be as real to life as possible. Yeah, um, this is like you can't. I can't. I can't really see past the artifice of it all personally. Um, it is. It's really stylistic, and it's presented yeah. that way. And I, I liked that because uh, this sort of play, like I, I've, I've seen plays like this before. I've, I think I've written one a while ago, um, <laughs> and. I enjoy that style, but it is a really dense and reference-heavy style. Yeah. And even 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 to me, and I like this kind of play, it doesn't connect too well. Yeah. It, it relies. It runs really heavily on atmosphere. I think yes, it runs heavy on atmosphere. Secondly, the lines are so long that you have two people just talking and one person just standing there listening for like mm-hmm. two to three minutes just standing there listening or just sitting there just doing something. You have three people and if two of them are engaged and one of them just isn't doing anything on stage, then the audience starts to question you know, what's going on. They're not even like responding to the dialogue happening. So maybe it was an acting issue or whatnot, but it just took me out of the atmosphere because it made it less scary and made it to me boring. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I would agree. I it's... was bored at times. Interestingly, I think it worked best for me when I stopped paying attention to the stage, which may be like a very big problem if you're a player, right? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Because yeah. when I stopped paying attention to what, what was happening on stage, I could focus on the language. I could understand what was happening a bit better. If you closed your eyes? I, closed, uh, I just looked away, actually. I just like looked at my lap. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, that's enough of that. There's <laughs> too much going on like for me to, uh, to figure out what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, again, like... The aesthetic was so there. If it was like a picture, if you took just like a picture of it and they weren't talking, right. yeah, you'd be were... like, wow, that sounds well, so I'm, good. I'm going to like that on Facebook, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> if you separate it and make it into a radio play and just listen to all the cool soundscape that they were mm-hmm. doing, really good too. Which is what I was thinking of too during this, is that this is really, I know the writer of this, and he's mm-hmm. he's really into old media, older media, and I was wondering if what he was aiming for when he wrote this script was a radio play. Uh, something like that, uh-huh. or a black box play, yeah. mm-hmm. and that 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 would serve it very well. And almost the the interesting thing about the the blocking, the direction of this play was not great. Um, I would agree. Uh, but uh, I think the reason for that being, uh, it, it it just again it's it's a very static visual. It's a one room play where the director, I'm pretty sure, said, okay, block it so that you're in this position by this line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Which... At times feels really false. Like, at the end of the... That's not like, a style I'm fond of. Yeah, when they're running to, like, yeah. get in between different parts of the mansion. And they're like, ah, oh, doctor. And, and they keep ending up in the same... That, yeah. that, that bit I actually liked. That bit I, I thought was suitably creepy. I didn't think so, just because they were going the same way all the time. Yeah. It's okay. just a limitation of the of the stage, right? It, yeah. Like it works and better in Scooby Doo, honestly. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it does work better. In so basically, what's happening here is that the actors are kind of going out uh, of the curtain of the curtains, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From left, they're coming out left and in right, 
and they keep doing this and it's like what happens to scooby-doo when they're going in the doors and they're coming <laughs> out the other way yeah yeah not across the hallways like yeah <laughs> i i think so there's like, like there's like a comic comic aspect aspect to like to that end right yeah but i don't know if they were but aiming not, for the but comic. not aiming for a comic yeah. as, uh, comedy i don't think mm-hmm. and the yeah yeah that, that that one was i think of all the plays probably the most offbeat I felt that if it's, they were yeah. more focused on getting a little dirty with it, like grabbing that bottle, just throwing it and being all like, whatever, like, you know, like if they weren't so, I, I, felt, I felt it was really indulgent on appearance. Even though it was like looking haphazard, all the costumes are so nice, tailored, really nice. right? Yeah. I think yeah. if we saw them being messy, pulling their hair, actually seeing the madness affect the character, then I would have been like, whoa, that's intense play. I like it. But because it was so, again, bordering on the kind of the pristine pristine aesthetic, they wanted to keep it. Like, oh, you know, this yeah. aesthetic must never be sullied in any way. I think that's the reason why I lost like, the, the reality of the play, which is, again, a house deteriorating, a person deteriorating. It's this deterioration that we never get to see. People trapped in a cycle yeah. of that. Wow. The way you describe it sounds really interesting. I know. If they, if they show that madness, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, let's go to the next play, the uh, Le- Levy. Levy. Thank yeah, you. Levy. The Levy. What you, dri- what you drive your Chevy to if you're John, if you're Don McLean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's um, the only song. And the I good know. old boys are drinking whiskey and rye. Yep. Yeah. Saying yeah. this is gonna be the day that I die. Yeah. This is the day the music died. Yeah. Uh, the the Levy, written by Taylor Mac, directed by Thomas Thomas Tomas. Tomas. Thank okay. you, Tomas Bali. Give us a synopsis, Jake. Go for this it. It's your turn. The Levy. Um. Ten seconds. It's a kitchen sink drama. Literally. Literally, yeah. actually. Literally. The, the sink yeah. was one of the set pieces. Yeah. True. And the, the, the character is fixing a sink. So the the plot of it is there's a guy his uh, who's fixing the sink. Mm-hmm. His wife arrives home very drunk. Uh, and the they reveal that they've been trying to conceive for a while. It has not worked. And and they they have they they dream of other things, but they have issues between the two of them, mostly because of that. Mm-hmm. And in the end, she miscarries again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a dark play, I would say. Uh, very importantly, the the characters are working like very solidly working class. Yeah. Like they're they're poor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a big part of. It's not just like inability to conceive. It's like that they're also not yeah. where they want to be in life right now. Yeah. Yes, and they they mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Like it's. I really liked the emotional kind of like carry through that the characters do have especially um near the near the end but at the same time i just couldn't get over these little nuances that just bugged me because it just felt unrealistic and these are like really nitpicky things or maybe they're not nitpicky but number one when the girl walks in like completely hammered yeah completely hammered the guy's fixing the sink because it's broken she walks in completely hammered and she's like and she's so drunk one heel is on one heel is off that's how drunk she is i'm so sorry i even wear like a shoe if i'm like drunk i'm gonna try to get the other shoe off because it's uncomfortable and heels they're especially uneven i don't wear heels but i'm guessing you know from the visual that i I, i'm looking at a heel i'm like you know that elevates one foot up that's probably really annoying to to have only one heel on that's right. And then uh, we... It's so stupid. I know, like, this, it's a dumb complaint, yeah. but it's it's there. <laughs> it's there. It's like a nitpicky thing. This is the thing that's not nitpicky. Yeah. Um, she's drunk. She comes back. And then they talk. And then we get... We have, like, the understanding that, hey, you know what? 
She went to the doctor. She's pregnant. Whoa, why did she drink? And also, why does she have smokes? So all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, this person doesn't care about their health. They don't care about their baby because maybe they're, they're doing all this, definitely. And that's the impression that I get. So when we are later on shown that she really cares about having a child and all that kind of stuff, that makes me question, why did you do all these things? It makes whatever she's going through seem less kind of... It makes her a bit unsympathetic, right? Yeah, it makes her un- unsympathetic. In the end, I'm just kind of like, why did you do all this? Yeah. And I think there is a way to characterize that, but there is a time issue, too, with the length of the play. You do need kind of a longer play to make it that mm-hmm. character. Yeah, that, that's true. Feel- that's like the reason why the the husband just seems so nice. The husband seems like extraordinarily nice for yeah. like compared to the wife. The wife seems like kind of like a jerk. Mm-hmm. And the seems, husband just seems so like She over- seems very but, selfish. Right, she seems very selfish. And the yeah. husband is like such a decent fella, you know? He just got that one tattoo and <laughs> she goes crazy on him. And I'm just like yeah. I I guess so, what? I don't understand the ta- why she went off on the tattoo and then she, suddenly it's all forgiven. Takes out the cigarette lighter. There's a way to get rid of it. Yeah, who knows? Oh boy, that that would have made that would her. That's a very different play. We're going to a dark place, <laughs> but I think um, I think that this play's main issue is time. Yeah, is that those two characters I think were supposed to be on the same level, and as you said, they don't they don't so much seem that way. I think it could have been avoided if they got. I I know that's the most beautiful scene, but if they just got rid of the motorcycle fantasy and actually, which is like the title of the play. I know, I'm saying, or either you know, reality. either have or not like. They, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, for, for clarity, they, they arrange two chairs so that it looks like he's driving a motorcycle and she's riding on the handlebars. Which, makes, which, no, which, which makes no sense. sense. How is that possible? You, you will fall off. It's possible if you have two chairs. <laughs> it's also possible to run your hand through so, the gravel. So, so this is like kind of her, uh, she's waxing poetic. She's like, I, I hope, hope we know we can run our hand through the gravel like, you know, like, like it's water. a sea, like it's a water. That and one? then I'm thinking, you would get road rash. Like literally, you would... <laughs> Skin would just be peeling off your hand right now. You yeah. Would... <laughs> it was so... I know they were going for the beautiful, but like because it's rom- the It's supposed lawn... to be romantic, right? Yeah, I know it's like a metaphor for like, oh, the gravel is the ocean. Yeah. But the the fact that... But if you think about it for like a second, you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's not physically possible. <laughs> if she said like, was... the gravel is like the ocean. I wish I could run my hand through it. Right, yeah. Then I would have been like, oh, that's beautiful. But she's like, yeah, you know, I want to run my hand through it. I'm just While like... you're going like 100 miles an hour on the highway or whatever. Yeah. This is why you don't ride motorbikes while drunk you will think the road is the ocean and lose one of your head one of your limbs yeah and i was just thinking about it like even like seeing like how like a little flick of like rock on the highway can hit your windshield and crack it oh yeah, yeah. And i'm just like why would you do that yeah. but then she, i i say that a lot to this girl and the, the character I go like why would you do that to everything that she did mm-hmm. and um the acting in Olivia I thought was solid. The acting for, was solid. From, but yeah, from both sides. From both, yeah. yeah. I th- again, I think the issue was time and d- direction a little bit, but mostly time. I would think characterization. I think time is a big problem for a lot mm-hmm. of these plays, honestly. Really? I think bedtime was done for I think bedtime though. is the one that like r- recognizes the limitations, and it's mm-hmm. like very concise in what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even Doris Darling? Uh, I think so. We couldn't bit. have made time? it much longer. Yeah, Doris yeah. Darling, I'll say that much. We couldn't stretch it much that much more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, the Levy, I thought, again, acted really well. But just like mm. the things that the characters did and said just made me go like, what? I can't tr- I can't believe you or I can't trust you when you say these things because the logistics are not there. Kind of seems like the truncated version of a longer play. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we knew the reason why she d- 
does all these things despite wanting to get pregnant, why can't they just adopt? Okay, is it like a, did they have, did they try before, but they were denied because they're too poor? Can we get more on that angle? Like, yeah. I think like the focus, again, metaphor, motorcycle ride, beautiful. Oh my God, hold me, Jack. Like, <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did yeah. seem like that. Yeah, yeah it's okay. beautiful. Like, I, I, I get that. But yeah. for a really short, like, play, are you going to go for, like, a story if you want a story-driven play? Or are you going to go for an image-driven play? I think because they were trying to do both, it got a little, like, a, you know, mm. a mishmash. Like, a good and example. Nev- nothing clear. A good example of a story-driven play was, was the last one, actually. Was, mm-hmm. um, was Our Place. Our mm-hmm. place. Our place. Yeah, written by uh, Tomas Bali and directed by Jada Novak. It was really great. Would you like to give a synopsis this time? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So this is basically the first play, right? It's, it's the boys are back in town. Right? Yeah, the it's first the boys. One, the first one was the girls are back in town. This one is the boys are back in town. And yeah. they're not mean to one another. And they're not mean to one another. Yeah. Right. It's it's it's, it's basically the same story though. Like mm-hmm. it's the first year to call to college. Like one one of the guys is like um he's going to dancing school in in Paris. Oh, he's so Paris. A ballet and everything. <laughs> yeah. The guy's like going to school, like lo- kind of locally, like yeah. uh, like upstate or something. Mm-hmm. I think they're in Portland. They're like they're the, in Oregon. They're in a, right? No, they're in like a small town in Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. The one yeah. guy didn't go to college. The other yeah. guy. Okay. Okay. Stayed in town. I kind of okay. I kind of had that vibe. Like he was a town boy, you know, small town boy. Right. I see. Okay. Staying with the community, calling his mom by her first name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a small town boy. No, the rhyme doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The rhyme doesn't work with Oregon. South anyway, Detroit is Windsor, by the way. Anyway, they, they kind of like, going back to the synopsis, they kind of like yeah. meet up and they learn new things about each other and how they've changed over the course of one year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are some, this is, of the of all the plays, this is the one that did mix comedy and drama the best. They did a dramedy, for real. Yeah. Like, they, they did a good, a solid dramedy. and Just a, like what you like to watch, the One Tree Hill. Winter Hill. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the the OC. The OC, man. That's a, that's the real stuff right there. Yep. The OC is way better than the Winter Hill, by the way. <laughs> that's that's yeah. The fourth yeah. season of the OC. I'm giving the chef kiss right now. He, he's giving the chef kiss. He gave he just gave me three OK signs. <laughs> I like the OC when they put it on the East Coast and called it Gossip Girl. I like that too. It's it's, yeah, it's the same do. show. The first season has it, it actually is like like. <laughs> There are two cotillion episodes. That's really specific. Like, the thing with Gossip Girl is you have to stop watching after a few seasons, but, like, the first few, chef kiss oh, again. Ed, Ed, Ed Westwick's British accent, you know, starts yeah. to creep That character is weird because he starts off as, like, a date rapist, but he becomes, like, this leading man. It's very odd. Anyway, anyway, um, let's go back to our place. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah so Sorry, you get dude. that dramedy kind of aspect. Yeah. You have actually two really likable characters. You do. It's so strange. Yeah. And also the most realistic depiction of drinking in, I think, every The play. most I, realistic Because yeah. it's not one. just, like, you know, pouring out of feelings. Just these guys, they're loosening up a little, right? Yeah. yeah. Alcohol, just making that tongue a little, yeah. like, a little bit. Yeah, and they're also, they're also high. They're also a little high. Are they, all, are they actually? They, they said they smoked. Oh. oh. I thought they were just smoking cigarettes. Okay. Oh, like it could have been. I thought, I thought it was. Okay. Actually, that makes sense, right? Yeah. They, they're in small town Oregon. Yeah, small town Oregon. <laughs> What else are you going to do? But anyway, um, the one who's from Par- uh, Paris, Paris? Paris comes back, <laughs> and uh, he meets up with his friend, and then he learns how much the little town has changed, and um, surprise, surprise, his friend, like, they haven't been talking in a while. They haven't been really communicating. No, not at no. all. And then so all these just emotions burst through from their, from their manly chests. 
Like, yeah. and, and there's some, like, there's, like, I, I, we're not getting where this is a drama. There's a dark moment in this. There's there's quite a lot. There's 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 two really, mm-hmm. really dark ones. There's one where the... The, the dancer? Kid who went to Paris. Yeah, he, because uh, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And... Also, uh, actually, like, mm-hmm. non like, not so stereotypical depiction of a gay man's friendship and a straight man's friendship, I would say. Yes, actually, that's... Yeah. 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 And I was really happy about that. Like... They didn't treat him like any, like, you know, less, like, oh, man, you're my fairy, bro. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, when the, the, the jocks <laughs> have to, like, over, that maybe that's, like, the TV I watch. They have to over-exaggerate how, like, manly and romancy their relationship is just because the okay. other dude is, you know, a gay person. Yeah, okay. So I'm saying, like, this one's, like, really realistic. They actually feel like friends. Yeah, they do feel like friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, uh. More than like the girls in the first. Yeah, more, more than, than the girls, the girls the and their their cousins. Probably because they don't have that same dimension of visceral loathing. <laughs> yeah, true. But uh, anyway, you do mention that there's a dark moment with yeah, the dancer. He gets he tells a story. Uh, he says he, he reveals basically that he got sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be pos- possibly rape. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's yeah. And it's like quite dark. The, the consent is unclear. Yeah, is the kind of the thing. And uh, it's, not, it's not like rape, rape. But, uh, he, actually, but he, I should not say no, that. No, but, like, but he said no, right? He said no, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So yeah, and uh, the interesting thing uh, after you guys saw it, um, the shows after that had a trigger warning in front of it on account of that content. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and the other point at which it gets really dark is uh, when the uh, the other guy, the guy who stayed in town, talks about a mutual friend of theirs. Who uh, who overdosed on drugs, mm-hmm. and who they knew and who they probably saw, mm-hmm. basically go down this road. Basically saw him die. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really harrowing things to go through. The, no shit, Casper. Um, um, but they they do those. They, both of those things suddenly come up uh-huh. in conversation. Like it's not like they have this thing hanging over them. It's just like, whoa. As that, that that's and it's it's jarring, but it does give a good dramatic edge to it. So. Mm-hmm. And and this is actually my only criticism with this play because I really liked it. I thought it was really um, cute. I thought it was funny at times. I thought the chemistry between the two actors was chef kiss. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. I, I liked them. They were like they were really fun. They were like actual guys, you know, just chilling out. Maybe out on a blanket. On a blanket. In the woods or whatever. In the woods, watching the stars. Watching the stars. They're on a cliff, right? Yeah. I think they're on the yeah, cliff. they're on the. I, yeah. I was kind of like, because you were talking about that it's gonna be a meet cute. We were yeah. like, we actually like hypothesizing like what's gonna be in like these plays. I said there's gonna be friends breaking up. Yep. There were two. There well, were two. There's, there's, yeah, there's kind of two. Yeah. Yep. And then you said there was gonna be a meet cute. It's gonna be a meet cute. And mm-hmm. I thought there was gonna be in a coffee shop, but I think I'll take this too. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I had criticism at our place is they brought up such these really huge topics, especially the topic of male rape, which is never explicitly, like, delved into. And I know the reason why it's, like, uncomfortable. Rape in itself is uncomfortable. But with, like, a heightened kind of, like, masculine kind of, like, oh, toxic masculinity, patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. But to actually talk about that, men don't want to talk about that. They don't want to be put in that vulnerable place. I mean, like, almost no one wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. But, like, yeah, men especially. But double for men because of this entire, like, uh, men aren't raped kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's kind of brought up, and it's not, like, really it, reflected on. I know, and I felt, like, it was, like, I know they don't want to, because maybe it's, like, too dark, but at the same time, if you bring that up, it's already too dark now. Yeah, maybe, like, you should, maybe the dark thing that happened should have been a bit lighter than, like, 
I don't know. I kind of get why they did that because if you're having a conversation about that where a friend of yours drops that bomb on you, especially in something like this where it's pretty conceivable that the guy he's talking to would have no idea how to approach this topic. I know, but yeah. I just wanted him to be like, That's so, fair. I wanted to hug him. You know what I'm going to say? I wanted him to hug him and say, I'm so sorry that happened to you, bruh. They do. They do hug at the they end. They do hug, but I wanted him to hug at that time, Andy. Okay, okay. I felt for him emotionally. <laughs> I was like, no. Danny? I think so. Right? Yeah. Danny, no. I can't believe it. I wanted the other guy to be like, I'm so sorry, man. And just like, at least, like, I don't know what to do, but I'm, can I, you know. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Dude. Yeah. Do, you know, you don't, just, you know, the, I think what he, what did he say? He was like, oh, man, that, like, you know, he kind of said, you know, that sucked in like a really, like, of course, more heartfelt way than that sucks, yeah. bro. <laughs> But, but I but I still thought downer bro. I know he was he was pretty empathetic. He was pretty empathetic, he, he but I was, wanted yeah. a little bit more. I wanted him to be like, I know, like you know, we don't talk about this, and I'm so sorry for bringing it up. He's like, that's totally yeah. fine. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. That should he, never happen said, to like, you. You can talk to me if you if you if you want. Right? Yeah. I'm here for you. Yeah. That's all I needed. That's all you needed too. Yeah. And the the drug thing too. Like I thought, like the emotional journey there really believable compared to like. <laughs> the first one, sorry. I'm just like being really mean to family matters, but man, it was more believable in our place because they never, sh- they, they talk about like, oh, he he did the drunk driving thing and then we're all like, oh, gasp. But this one, they actually took us there like through their lens, mm-hmm. this character's lens of like how he went through this guy. Uh, it's not like a surprise, like, whoa, this guy, this is a character that was here and now he's not there anymore. Like, yeah. It, it he was a... dead the whole time. Yeah. Wow. No, it doesn't feel like that. It's... Shyamalan. Yeah. <laughs> It, it felt more believable, and it felt more even heartfelt that they lost somebody. And that one, they're like, I lost that guy, too. And this one is like, dude, mm-hmm. like I went through all this, and I could have been there for him, but I wasn't. And I have to live with that regret now. Which is a feeling that people have. About. Especially yeah. in a small town where the, 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 sometimes like the drug use rate is much more higher. Just because they have nothing, well, like sometimes people feel stuck, they have nothing to do, they want to do drugs. Well, and you know, the odds are you probably knew that person in some capacity. Yeah, yeah. especially small Everyone town. knows each other, right, yeah. is kind of the yeah. sense I got from this play. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I really enjoyed our place. I would love to see it developed a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I love the ending, even though it's kind of like also at the same time random. <laughs> the ending, yeah. Like, do you want to describe, like, how it kind of The ending, they were kind of, like, I think they were, like, kind of, like, getting a little more drunk. And they yeah. were, like, talking about how this mm-hmm. one other guy, the very, like, jock one, is, like, going to, like, move out of a small town. He's going to college. And he's not with his girlfriend anymore. So I was already thinking, hmm, not with his girlfriend. He's single. That guy's single. Hmm, maybe. Hmm, maybe. Who knows? Who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> and the ending is also the biggest who knows. Yeah, it's very, it's like ambiguous, right? Whether yeah. Like, so basically what happens is that... I live. They start dancing, right? Like, yeah. In the moonlight. Yeah. Which, like, it, it, it's it's red. Like, you read it as very, like, romantic. But it's, like, ambiguous whether it is. Yeah, and they also, like, hug for a really long time. But then they do the bro pat. So I'm just kind of yeah. like, is that a bro hug? Or is that kind of like a, oh, my God, I think I, I think I just need, really, like, need you romantically. Wink. Yeah, is it just guys being dudes? Well, and the last yeah. line or is... Or is, is there something more? Is there something more? Well, the last line of the play is, while they're hugging, is like, should, should, we, should we stop? And he's like, we don't have to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, again, it's... it's. But I like that, male intimacy. It's a straight... Yeah, it's a pretty straight ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Straight ambiguity. Damn it. Yeah. That was purposeful, my friend. That was mm-hmm. purposeful? He did it on purpose. Did I? I see you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, Festival Dionysia, I... 
again, have to say that I really, overall, if I have to really say it, I actually really enjoy some of the plays a lot. I thought um, a lot of the, all, many of the stories were quite different and out there. So good mix of uh, some of the stories. Um, definitely my personal faves, my winners, uh, Bedtime, Doris Darling, and Art Place. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's like, so like these are amateur plays, right, Jake? Yes. So the Players Club is not necessarily made of people who are in acting or writing programs. Right. The, uh, the anybody could write a play and anyone could direct anyone. Mm-hmm. Could which is, which is fine, right? Because like, you know, honestly, writing workshops, very modern invention. Post-war, World, post-war World 2, that's around like where it's like kind of created, right? <laughs> You're so smart. Hemingway did not go to a writing workshop, I don't think, right? So, oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Damn it! So not everyone oh, like Christ. has to what go I... to a, to like yes. an MFA program to be able to write. Um, excuse you, Mama. You did go to journalism <laughs> school for yeah. it. But um, yeah, the the cool thing is, if you want to participate in Festival Dionysia, you certainly can. They mm-hmm. will accept submissions starting next year, September, I think. Uh, November. November. I, thank I, you. If I, I recall. Yeah. Thank uh, you. It's it's not at the very start of the year. And anyways, it was it was still a pretty good experience. My only advice, again, on the program, please list your actors. I would love to know who was in the plays. And secondly, maybe admission fee can be a little bit. Yeah. Like, so, and we should talk about like that price, I right? I think so, so too. I think we should talk about were, Students were twelve dollars. Yeah. So that's kind of probably on the average price for people going in there. Yeah. And twelve dollars—that's uh, that's that's Cineflex money right there. Yeah. Uh, I can say like members, like you know, like ten dollars. I I would okay, okay. But I would have been. This is what I would do. My dream would have been this. Members eight bucks because they already pay ten dollar membership. Uh, actual regular people ten bucks is less than a Cineplex ticket. They will go to this, and if you want to do like adults, twelve dollars, totally fine. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yes. Yeah. So just a degree lower for each one. Just I, I a think so. Bit yeah. Lower. Yeah. If it's, you it's, did it's more plays, because this is six plays, right? Yeah. If you did like maybe like eight, then you can raise it up. Yeah, it probably like uh, there were a lot of people who because uh, I was in the the room with the other actors before yeah. the play, and there were a lot of texts going back and forth like, oh, when how do we get it, get there? Is like, oh, you buy a ticket and you go see it at Dorothy Somerset. It's like, oh wait, we have to pay. Was how half the texts went oh. back. Is like in that Ooh, case, that's not good. Yeah, there were quite a few people when we went. <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah, quite, yeah, it's pretty um, cool. Like it, it's again, um, not mm-hmm. like anyone's there. They like when we were there, and this is like second night. It was like. Pretty a lot of people, yeah. 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 And first night was, as you mentioned, full house. It was a full house, as was closing night, which was yeah. nice. That's nice. Great. Yeah, that's great, that's great. Anyways, Festival Dionysia, that's our take on it. We're going to go to a really, really um, short promo and come back with an interview with uh, the set designer Sarah Sacco and Nikolai Kuchin for Lil Beso. This is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I sh- breakfast with the Browns. So whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lounge core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember. Subtle. Basic. Brown. 
Breakfast with the Browns on CITR 101.9 FM every Monday morning from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense and the less I care. Now we're riding the rainbow the classic and we're making it like young. Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville And we're making it like you Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville Hi there everybody, my name is Ashley Park You are listening to The Arts Report Today we have two amazing guests with us They are actually part of Les Belles Sœurs This is a production by UBC Theatre Actually, it looks like we ran out of time that's crazy jokes i know um anyways you were listening to the arts report we'll actually have the rest of the